So I, I, I started this. I had a really good friend. I had a really good friend once, but I, but I hugged him and I squeezed him and I pet him. You ever seen that that cartoon before? Yeah. <laughs> you have seen it before. I like this. This is good. <laughs> I have a a good friend, and I've mentioned this good friend before, but I'm not going to mention his name. I never have. Um, though he's definitely given me the privilege to do so, this, it doesn't matter. Um, I, I met him in, two, in the 2000s, early 2000s, I think it was, actually, no, it was 99. And he, he became a really close friend and brother in Christ. And our stories, in many ways, were colliding, both with life experiences and also just where we were at in our walk with the Lord at that time. Well, his story was, he grew up in the church. He was a Presbyterian, a good, upstanding, fine Presbyterian. Quiet, fighting for the back rows, much like good Lutherans, right? And he grew up, and you probably heard me tell this part of the story before, that he thought that Jesus was like God's mascot. Like, like everybody must have a mascot. God has a mascot. Sporting teams have mascots that kind of get the crowd all riled up and pumped up and excited. And he thought of, God, of Jesus simply as God's mascot. That's what he was there for. You can dress somebody up like Jesus and they run up and down the aisles and get people excited. Obviously, that didn't happen. He was Presbyterian. Nonetheless, that's how he viewed God. He went all the way through school all the way through high school and into college, and maintained some level of faith. Uh, he was not overly serious about his faith, because how can you be when you think that Jesus is just God's mascot? Right? Maybe you could, I don't know. He wasn't. When he was in college, he got himself into some significant difficulty in his life. Some pretty deep trouble that he ran from like crazy. Did not want to name, did not want to address. Wanted to continue doing in some capacity but he recognized for the first time in his life that he was a big-time sinner. <laughs> he couldn't escape it. He knew that his actions, that his decisions had impacted somebody else's life hugely. And he was face-to-face -face with his sin. And he ran from God like nobody's business. He had wanted to have nothing to do with God because he was quite positive if he drew anywhere near God, that he would smote him dead. He'd blown it in his mind. He's done. He could never walk with God again. He could never know God again. He needed to just head in a different direction in his life, figure out what he was going to do, but certainly he could never go back to church. That's what happens when you think Jesus is... He's God's mascot. Maybe some of you have been there in your lives, thinking that what you've done has isolated you permanently from God's presence. That God doesn't really understand. Doesn't understand what the struggle of life is like. That God is only there to tell you how bad you are, not to encourage you and give you mercy and grace to continue to try and do things differently. 
Like, I get my friend's perspective because I've shared that one myself in my own journey. There was a time in my life when I ran from God. I was face-to-face with the fact that I was a sinner, that I was messed up, that I had done things that have impacted people's lives around me that couldn't be undone. A simple apology wasn't going to cut it. I felt the weight and the burden of shame and of guilt. I knew that what I did was wrong. Granted, I didn't feel all that empowered to do it any differently. I just felt like I could do nothing but stand before God condemned with no hope. But we do serve a God who's different than that. And at the same time, He's the same as that. We'll get into this in a second. Our text today is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen if not. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The writer of Hebrews starts off talking about the Word of God. The Word of God is living and it's active. What is the Word of God? What is that? Is it Scripture? I think that's the first place people go in their minds when they think about what is the Word of God. Well, the Word of God would be the Scriptures. Yes, that's true, but also it's not exactly true. It's not less than Scripture, but it's so much more. And it's important for us to note, too, that just because somebody would reference Scripture does not immediately make it the Word of God. If somebody references Scripture and twists it and distorts it, even though they might quote it accurately, misapplying it, using it as something to ridicule people, to shame people, not in keeping with its intended purposes, that's not the Word of God then. How can that be the Word of God? It's a bunch of words that people are quoting for the wrong purposes. Many of you have experienced that. I know many of you have experienced that in your lives. So, properly interpreted Scripture... Scripture that's in keeping with the Spirit of God can be the Word of God. God can speak to us in that way. Which brings me to point one again. It's it's Scripture, but it's so much more. The Word of God is God's agent of action. It's distinct, but it's not different from Him. His Word is an intimate part of who He is. Everything God does can be described as being done through His Word. He created the cosmos, and we're told that it was through His Word spoken that He creates things that did not exist and made things that do exist. Everything God can 
God does can be described again as being done through His Word, His purposes being carried out through His Word. He creates, He sustains, He saves, He reveals, He leads, and He judges through His Word. And He makes His will known to us through His Word. Maybe we need to stop for a second and just think about that. Think about that God would use the word, word, to describe his creativity, his sustaining, his saving, his revealing of himself, his leading of us, and his judging of us. What do you think when you first, and it's okay, you can interact with me tonight. Not that I ever have to give you permission, <laughs> right? What does is, what is, what is word communicate to you? What does, it, what does it tell us about God's personality, if you will? That he wants to communicate to us that, that he's personal. That he wants to speak to us, that he wants us to hear him, that he wants a relationship with us, right? Now, we can get really technical about what logos means, what word in Greek means. On one hand, it means just what we're talking about here. On another hand, it simply means the force, the being that created everything that exists. But nonetheless, it's, it's word. God wants a relationship with us in which we speak to him and he hears us. And we hear him. Well, and he hears us too, praise God. He makes his will known through speaking to his people. And amazingly, even when we don't listen... Even when we're hard-hearted, thick-skulled, or numb-skulled, <laughs> numb-skulled, <laughs> God still, no matter what, will accomplish His will through His Word. Isaiah 55, speaking of God's Word and ability to accomplish His purposes, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Of course, as we've talked about in this series, Jesus is God's incarnate word. Jesus is the way in which God has spoken to his people. In the past, he's spoken through prophets, but now he's spoken to us through a son. God's purposes have been carried out through Jesus, his son. The exact impress, the image of God. God's word is capable of penetrating the seemingly impenetrable. And dividing the seemingly undividable. It can penetrate and divide joint and marrow. It can penetrate and divide soul and spirit. When God speaks, it has its way, and it does things that seem to be impossible to us. That's the point of those two references, joint and marrow. I mean, we might be able to take a scalpel and seemingly separate joint from marrow now, but the point then was that you can't separate those two things. 
In the same way, you can't separate soul from spirit. It doesn't seem that you can. They're almost synonymous with each other. But God's word can do that. It can penetrate and separate. And here's the kicker. Just as the word of God can separate the seemingly inseparable joints and marrow, soul and spirit, so too can it penetrate, divide, and then discern, see, lay bare the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. Your thoughts and your attitudes. Like the idea of thoughts is your inner passions, the emotional driving force in you. Do you have one of those? Do you have an emotional driving force? (laughs) I know I do. I don't always like it. I have an emotional driving force. I think the best way to capture this idea for us would be our subconscious. The things that we don't necessarily have at the forefront of our mind, but just things that we do. Sometimes they're really bad things. Sometimes they're not such bad things. Sometimes they're just like our brushing our teeth in the morning. That's not a bad thing. We don't necessarily think about it. Well, unless you're like a five-year-old kid that needs to be told repeatedly, go brush your teeth, right? <laughs> you still have to think about it, all right. Okay, taking a shot. Whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of good things that we do that are like on a subconscious level. Those inner passions, those emotional driving forces. We don't even understand them. But God does. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows why we do the crazy things that we do. And he not only knows those, he knows the intentional things, the attitudes that we have the things that we have consciously thought through. And God knows what is what, too. Have you had a time in your life when you've questioned, why am I doing what I'm doing? And you have a hard time even getting into touch with why you're doing what you're doing? Right? (laughs) God knows. His word is able to enter into our lives and understand why it is that we do what we do. Those things that seem indistinguishable to us, but they're not to God. God can penetrate and divide our subconscious and our conscious thoughts. He understands what motivates us deeply. I'll be honest with you, at that point, if we're going to take this really seriously, and I encourage you to take it seriously, that's scary. Isn't that a little bit scary? That God knows exactly what's going on in your heart. Was it Friday? Yesterday, yeah. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. I do. I'm just going to be... I shared this story with somebody yesterday, and they said to me, oh, praise God that you have thoughts like that too. (laughs) So I decided that I'm just going to share some of these bad thoughts that I have. That go on in my heart. That go, yeah, yeah. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. So there's a guy that is. I, I I I left the cafe, and I was downtown. Tried to find somebody. I was looking for down there, and I didn't find him. And then I realized when I was coming back that I forgot something. Imagine that. And so I stopped at the atrium, and I went in to get what I was going to get. And actually, when I just walked up, there was a guy there, and he's peering in the windows. He's like trying to see in. And I was like, Hey, how you doing? He's like. Oh, I'm, I'm fine. And he's like, uh, is this the, uh, 
is this, is this the building that the, the Episcopal church over on the corner is redoing? And I was like, well, yeah, but it's not Episcopal church. It's a non-denominational church. But it used to be an Episcopal church. But yeah, it, it, it's, that's it. And he's like, oh, okay, well, man, it's looking pretty good. And I was like, oh, this would be a nice conversation, right? So, <clears throat> yeah, it ended there as a nice conversation. He, uh, <laughs> he goes, uh, he's, like, he's, like, he's like, well, you know the Korean people over here in the building next to you. And I'm thinking, oh, great, where are we going with this, right? And he's like, I bet you never thought about what an what a, what a impact you're going to have on their business with this building here. And I'm thinking, well, I still don't know where we're going with this. Maybe this is good, right? It'll bring them more business. He's like, well, having all the homeless people around here, they're going to get stuff ripped off right and left. You never thought about that, did you? I'm like scratching my head. I'm like really confused. I was like, I wasn't think I wasn't saying this, but I'm like, that's their clients anyway. You know, it's like right. <laughs> so bringing really is bringing more business, not less. So, <laughs> yeah. So so and he just keeps going on about like, uh, yeah, you're a you never even thought about that, did you? Yeah, it's gonna have a hugely negative impact. They're probably gonna have to go out of business. And the part of the story I didn't tell you was the man was clearly intoxicated, too, I realized, somewhere along in the conversation. And I was frustrated. My goodness. I'm like, it didn't, I, I like usually can catch myself somewhere along the way, and I can be like Dale was there. <laughs> he, he heard all this. <clears throat> I can usually catch myself and be like, oh, man, don't engage. Don't go there. Just, you know, golly, having a rough day, rough life, rough time whatever, and I can just be really gracious with people and even continue a conversation and even deal with maybe the frustrations, concerns that they have. But I just was not in the mood for it. And I said, I would rather, I would rather be around them than you. Yeah, right? I don't know if it was loud enough for him to hear. Dale, was it loud enough for him to hear? Yeah. Well, because I told you afterward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I ended up saying after that. I was trying to bow out without getting more frustrated. <laughs> I know, right? So the point of that was that uh, I don't even necessarily know right where that came from a heart that's broken and hurting and wounded and frustrated in different situations. Um, maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, that doesn't sound like an inappropriate thing to say. Um, <laughs> God knows your thoughts. <laughs> um, God knows our hearts. He knows what's going on in there. I find that... I find that... Uh, that when I have those moments and realize what is going on in my heart, that I couldn't find it in myself to see this as a man who probably needed somebody just to speak with him, to encourage him, to love him. That, you know, my heart is sometimes motivated by not good ideas, not good thoughts. Um, praise God that I, we do have a, a Savior, one that cares about us, one that loves us, one that is gracious with us. But it's at times like that. Maybe that story seems ridiculous to you guys, but it, it certainly isn't to me. 
Um, it's when I, when I read things like the psalm that we read earlier today that it makes me tremble, quite honestly, a little bit. Um, that, that God understands deeply what goes on in our hearts. That everything that goes on in us is exposed to God. That no matter where we go, we can't run, we can't hide, we can't physically try and do that as I have tried to do in the past in my life, as many of you probably have, as many of my friends have, that we can't even run and hide from God in our own minds. God is able to go wherever He wants to. Does it sound pleasant to think that even in the recesses of your mind, in your darkest of thoughts, that God knows them? Does that trouble you? If we were to stop at this point in the text... I think it does sound a little bit terrifying. Mm. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> really, the <laughs> if the story stops there, if it was just simply that your heart is laid bare before God and He knows how black and dark and not good it is in there, He knows your thoughts. He knows when you are tempted to go over to the computer and accidentally find a porn site. Right? He knows when you are accidentally, quote unquote, walking by somebody that you know needs some help. He knows everything that goes on in the depths of your heart. One of the things that I do with people with substance abuse and dealing with substance abuse specifically is help them do what's called a backtracking exercise. And it can be something that's really good for any of us that stumble in anything that we do. The idea is really simple. You just simply, if you've relapsed or you've struggled with something that you're trying to avoid, you work back in your life to ask and asking the questions, how did I end up there? How did I end up doing that? Sooner or later, a person can discover that they actually, subconsciously, knew they were going to do what they did before they did it. That's why I'm saying accidentally, right? Somebody plans it out someplace deep in the recesses of their mind. If we can get in touch with that, maybe, maybe, maybe God can stop it. <laughs> maybe we can learn to steer in a different direction, do something differently than what we were going to do. If it doesn't sound terrifying enough to stop and think that God knows the depths of our heart, that he knows what we're thinking, that he knows these accidental things that we find ourselves doing, or even worse yet, just simply justified doing, knowing that they're wrong anyway, that as verse 13 tells us, that we must give an account to God. Like, it's one thing to just be like, he knows. It's a whole other thing that God, one day, we will stand before him, and he'll be like, what were you thinking with that? 
You did a lot of things accidentally, didn't you? <laughs> Praise God the text doesn't stop there. But we have an awesome high priest. We have an awesome high priest. We have a great high priest. We have, you know what a priest is supposed to do? I'm going to save this a little bit because it's coming up in the later chapter. He represents people to God, and he represents God to people. That's what a priest does. And we have a great high priest who represents us really well. He represents God perfectly to us, and he represents us perfectly to God. I hope you track with that theology. This awesome high priest has gone through the heavens. Literally, this great high priest has passed through the heavens. I don't know what the translation was on the board. Oftentimes it's translated in verse 14, ascended. And that's fine. That's okay, but it doesn't capture the whole picture. Ascended is like one directional, right? It's like you start here and you go up. But pass through the heavens does not just have one direction in mind. It also has descending in mind. Pass through the heavens speaks not of Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father only. It also, and importantly, has in mind that the word, Jesus, the Son, came out of the mouth of God, if you will, to us. He came to us. He was made a little lower than the angels, not crowned with glory and honor, because not crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We have a great high priest who has come to us. Unlike the high priest of Jesus' day, who was quite separated from the people, Jesus, the great high priest, has come to us to learn to, as crazy as that seems, to empathize with us. He was not a high priest out of touch with his people. He walked among us. You ever have a leader that's out of touch with the reality? Like has no clue what it's like to be you? It's not good, is it? Right? I mean, I think we're, um, geez, I don't want to get too political, but I think we're filled with a world full of politicians that haven't got a clue what it's like to be a regular person. They can't represent you well if they don't know what your life is like. But not this great high priest, Jesus the Son. He has come through the heavens to be like us. Is humbling to endure temptation and suffering with us and for us. Jesus tempted? Like really tempted? He's been tempted in every way. You know, it's 
It's not sinful to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way. He can sympathize with our weakness. He has been tempted in every way just as we, however, he remained faithful. When we don't remain faithful, he remains faithful. It was only after he passed through the heavens and came to us that he ascended to be seated at the right hand of the Father. That one seated on the throne, our absolute leader, he gets you. He gets it. He understands you. He understands the depths of your heart and he loves you the same. He understands what you go through. He understands the struggles of your life, the things that you have to deal with. He understands the temptations that this world presents to you. He's able to empathize with our weakness. He's able to empathize with our susceptibility. Do you know what the difference between empathy and sympathy is? Yeah. You feel sorry for somebody versus you feel as they feel. Or you feel sorry with somebody. Right? You don't simply say, oh my goodness, John, I'm so sorry. My goodness, that's really, that's, that's really bad that you're having to sit here. So, okay, bye. Right? Versus, oh my. Oh, I'm sorry. Versus, versus entering into, I'm sorry, man. I need to empathize with your pain. It is. That's still sympathy. Versus entering into somebody's situation. That's when we truly learn to empathize. Jesus, the word, has been sent through the heavens to truly empathize with us. To not just say, oh yeah, I'm really sorry that the world is hard. Yeah, okay, see you later. Feeling tempted? (laughs) Okay, I don't know what to tell you. Rather, he has come to empathize with our struggles. To empathize with our pain. To understand what goes on in us personally. Because we have this great high priest who is able to empathize with us, we can go to this one who has come to us. We can enter the throne room of God, the place of his presence, not filled with fear, not terrified because we know that God knows everything about us. But rather, we can enter the throne room of God with confidence and receive mercy and find grace. Oh, now, I don't know about y'all, but now I can breathe. Now I can go boldly before God and say, my goodness, Lord, I am really messed up. You know what I did last week? I accidentally was mean to somebody. Or I accidentally found myself in a website that wasn't so healthy for me. Or I accidentally, totally accidentally, stole a bunch of money. I don't know how it happened. It just ended up in my pocket. Or maybe, even better yet, we can go before the throne room of God, find mercy, 
Let him lay our hearts bare and have him show us what's gone wrong. Have him show us what needs to be healed. Have him show us, you know what? We're backtracking this and it started right here. You knew you were going to do this then, but you know what? I love you. I'm going to give you mercy. You're not going to get what you deserve. Instead, you're going to get grace. You're going to get a gift that's going to be able to keep you from doing that again. Might take a while. (laughs) Do you believe this? Do you believe that you can go before the throne of God's grace? Do you believe that it is a throne of grace? Because that's what it's referred to, too. It's, it's a throne of grace. That's how it should be known as. It's not a throne of wrath or a throne of hatred or a throne of I told you so or I can't stand you. It's a throne of grace. It's a throne that you get the approach that isn't going to give you what you deserve, but it's going to give you a good gift. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it is a throne of grace? Do you believe that's what God's presence is like? Maybe you, maybe you don't believe it. Maybe you don't know it. Maybe you know you need grace. Maybe you're where I have been in my past or where others, many others have been in their past. Where they recognize that they have done things that have overwhelmed other people's lives. But they know that they need forgiveness, but didn't know it was to be received. You can come before Jesus and you can just let your heart be laid bare before him. Or maybe there are some of you that really don't think that you need grace. Don't always go in a place like this, but let me ask you this question. If you were to approach God and he was to ask you to give an account of your life tonight, do you think you would be able to stand the test or would you need to plead for mercy? If the one who was able to separate marrow from joint, soul from spirit, the one who can lay all things bare, exposed, knowing your deepest thoughts better than you know them yourselves, do you think you would need mercy? Do you think you would need grace? If you do believe that you need mercy and you need grace, cling to Jesus. He is our great high priest. He is not God's mascot. He is the word, the one whom through grace and truth has come into the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your written word. And I pray for leaders throughout the world that they would do a good job of applying and interpreting and proclaiming that word, Lord God, that would truly be your word. And Father, I thank you for for the way that your word just enters into our lives and lays our lives bare. Praise you. Help us learn to be a people who praise you for having our hearts opened up and having our lives laid bare, that you know how to separate our thoughts, that you know what truly motivates us. Father, we praise you, we love you. Thank you that we can approach you boldly 
Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are a God, a king who knows his subjects extremely well. That you are able to empathize with us. You don't just feel bad for our situations, but you come right into our midst. You walk in our shoes and you know what it's like. Help us, Heavenly Father, when we're weak and we find ourselves accidentally doing things that we know we shouldn't. Renew our hearts. Transform our lives. Keep us always growing closer to you, Lord God. Father, I just pray for those that are here tonight. That maybe... uh, Maybe struggle in many ways to believe your your throne is really one of grace. Help us always, Lord God, to trust in you. We love you. We praise you. We long to serve you. Amen.